0: The password is diversity.
1: Welcome to another episode of Work Life Unbalanced, hosted by Jason Lynchney, a branding and marketing expert, graphic artist, and entrepreneur, and Regina Romeo, chief human resources officer, HR expert witness, and Forbes author. Whether your workplace is your true north or things are going south when it comes to work, it's always something. This show is brought to you by CBS HR Consulting and sponsored by LinkedIn Talent Solutions and Oracle Public Sector. I'm Josh Goldman with music and Matt Michaelis. And now, here are your hosts, Jason and Regina.
2: So today we're privileged to have Jacques Whitfield with us today. Jacques, um, tell listeners a little bit about your background and uh, we're going to be talking about DEI and how uh, I guess you bring knowledge and experience into that space.
0: What's DEI? Yeah,
2: what is that? <laughs> well, so that first mean? of all, thank you so
3: much for having <laughs> me. It's abs- It's an absolute pleasure to be with you this afternoon on this beautiful day in Sacramento. Um, a little bit about myself. I've been in the HR management space for approximately 20 years. Um, and most of that time was spent in the public sector uh, I worked in K-12 in uh, the Sacramento region for a large urban school district as associate superintendent and general counsel. And uh, I interfaced with um, HR, interfaced with a lot of DEI issues, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Of course, in that space, it was EEO, Equal Employment Opportunity, and I was a chief compliance officer uh, for EEO matters. I have worked in the higher education space in the California Community College System for six years. And I held the position of Chief Human Resources Officer for the Yuba Community College District. And that was the position I held right before I came here to join you folks at hey CPS HR. Yes, I've died and gone to Go heaven. It, it's good. <laughs> I do want to mention, though, uh, an interesting tidbit that my first job ever was middle school teacher. I was a seventh grade middle school teacher in the Robinson County Public Schools. And I think uh, for this conversation and subsequent conversations, I think the way of being that I would invite us to in the space is uh, what I invited my middle school students to come into the space, which is really open heart, open mind, and uh, let's be flexible. And we are dealing with new situations and matters of first impression and also um, historical matters that have been happening for centuries. And so as we are adjusting ourselves into the world in which we find ourselves right now, I think it's really incumbent that we just take pause and we have an open mind and seek to find new ways um, to look at some of the situations that we're dealing with. So I'm really pleased to be here and thank you so much for having me.
2: Awesome. It's a pleasure to have you. So, you know, from... My seat on the table is being uh, maybe not as culturally educated as um, a lot of other people and in, it may in, in the the black community or whatnot. There's a bunch of terms that are brought up that may be new to um, to people. And I wanted to kind of go through a little bit, a few of those terms to so that we have a, a the basis of understanding. Because I think if we don't understand the vocabulary being used and the perspectives, then the rest doesn't really fall into place. So um, terms like unconscious bias, allyship, microaggression, um, those sort of terms may be new to some people. And I was wondering if you could walk us through some of them to build that, that foundation.
3: Absolutely. Um, so let's take the first issue, uh, which is unconscious bias. Um, All human beings have an unconscious bias that is an an unintentional um, but automatic response to circumstances, situations, individuals, people. Um, As human beings, we all have preconceived notions. As human beings, we also respond to... Uh, sets of stimuli which uh come into our come into our environment Uh, we have automatic reactions and those that's really what unconscious bias is there's there is um some misperception about unconscious bias and a belief that if i operate with unconscious bias that that makes me the r word meaning racist Uh, but that's a huge leap in logic Uh, the, re- the reality is that we all have, we all respond to stimuli, we all have um, affinity bias, we all have things that we like whether they are uh, learned or unlearned, whether they're automatic or whether they're intentional. But we all have a, a certain affinity for things that we like and things that we don't like. And, and the invitation is to make sure that those biases do not ad- adversely impact the work situation, the do side. not adversely mm-hmm. impact hiring decisions and mm-hmm. and things of that nature.
0: Because when I think of affinity bias, for example, it really, you can't really get away from it because it's like this, we were supposed to have the Olympics this summer. And so, for example, I'm first generation, my family's from Trinidad and Tobago, so anytime Trinidad is in the news, I'm like, team TTO, man, I don't care who else is out there, I want Trinidad to win, period. If there's an athlete on American Ninja Warrior from Trinidad, or she looks like me or sounds like me, I'm like, I want that girl to win, you know, so it's, I think having that bias because that's your experience and that's your lens and how you see the world. It's, that's not a bad thing, you know, because, but it's a place to start. And I think what happens is if you build too much on that, you know, you put too much on that bias, then you start to cross over. Absolutely.
3: And I think uh, to Jason's point in the first instance, really uh, developing a common vocabulary because Mm -hmm. words do have power and it's really important, especially if we're going to navigate this space together. And I, and my my presumption is that this is going to be a longer conversation. Mm -hmm. This is not a 60 day training. This is not a six month moment in time. And then Mm -hmm. we'll be on to something else regardless of what the media shows or doesn't show. But I really think that we're at a moment in time that is significant. Mm -hmm. I think it's a watershed moment. And because this is going to be going on for quite some time, I think it's really important if we're going to, uh, be effective in this space that we share a common vocabulary with common understanding,
0: and is that a part of allyship? Is having that common language?
3: Absolutely, it is. And allyship, and in, in, in the very general terms, it's um, where are your allegiances? Are there are there folks? Are there individuals who support uh, a particular movement? In this case, um, allyship for what we see in the whole racial equity and social justice space. Um, and that's formal and informal, mm-hmm. um, but th- and that in and of itself is in a form of affinity. It may not be affinity bias, but right. it certainly is. I am I am attaching my allegiance to this cause. I'm attaching my allegiance to this particular movement.
2: Would you say it would be similar to maybe having allyship? For a sports team if you're a absolutely if, if you might be born in Cleveland and you love the Browns even though I'm sorry horrible <laughs> uh, I am so sorry to hear that <laughs> uh, but, but I mean in in layman's terms that would probably be a like you're rooting for that particular movement absolutely that particular yep, that's, that, that's absolutely correct absolutely correct Jason so when we talk about microaggressions and how that shows up in the whole DI landscape or, or racial equity landscape, um, take me through maybe some examples that you've seen or heard in your HR experience sure. or that maybe uh, bring to light what a microaggression might look Absolutely. like. Absolutely. And uh, this happens a lot,
3: uh, in my opinion, in the landscape of compliance, particularly uh, like sexual harassment prevention landscape in a, in a particular workplace and you know typically you know we know that whenever we get an allegation of sexual harassment that we immediately investigate that we um, make sure that the conduct if the con- if the allegations are proven that we uh, address the conduct make sure the conduct stops uh, we address uh, the complainant as well as the um, individual who is accused of uh, doing the uh, alleged wrongdoing, Oftentimes, we find that allegations don't rise to the level of a legal wrong. And so in 20th century HR speak, we would have, you know the HR manager or CHRO, Uh, when they're rendering findings, they say, well, the allegations are unfounded. And even though the allegations may be unfounded from a legal standpoint, Mm -hmm. that it doesn't rise to the threshold of sexual harassment, it doesn't rise to the threshold of discrimination, there is still some conduct that occurred in that space. And there was still some negative interaction between those two individuals. And there was a motivator behind the individual who I will call the aggressor, Against um, that individual who was uh, filed the complaint in the first instance, and oftentimes what you find that the even though the conduct may not rise to the level of harassment or discrimination, that the motivators of that conduct is what we call a microaggression. So, for example, the um, the accused may have um, an issue with women. And it may not rise to the level of a legal wrong, but there is something there where this individual may treat women in the workplace differently than they treat men. It may not rise to the level of discrimination, but there's something there. There's something there that we get to explore. There's something there that we get to create a teachable moment for that individual who may have uh, some sort of issue dealing with women that we get to address that we get to correct through coaching through mentoring uh, but not saying anything and allowing that uh, allowing that environment to fester with just Um, the standard response that, oh, the complaint is not sexual harassment without going any further to see where's the teachable moment in that.
0: Right. And a lot of times when those complaints come forward, it's like, oh, that person was just kidding or, you know, can't you take a joke and I don't see why that's offensive. And it's really about understanding the impact of certain things as well as what that person's intentions are, because there are teachable moments. We, we, as HR people, we do live in that compliant, non-compliant. Right. So everything is, Binary. Exactly. You know, either somebody had a violation or they didn't. Right. But at the same time, there are nuances to what happens in the workplace where you can say something offensive. I can't sue you and, and, and take you to court over it, but I still have to come back here tomorrow exactly. and see you. you know. Exactly. So we need to have some conversation right. around what some of those, you know, beliefs and behaviors are. Uh, and over the last few years, I would say I've seen a lot more policies just about civility. Exactly. In, the, in the workplace, and so we're really at a point where we just need to understand how to be civil, you know, to each other, or to be to be reminded Absolutely. how to be si- civil to each other.
3: Another point that you raised, Regina, I just want to underscore, the difference between outcome and intent. Mm-hmm. Most often, and those of us who've been in compliance spaces, where we're talking to individuals, they say, oh, it wasn't my intention. I never meant to do mm-hmm. that. Uh, you know, I love everybody. I mm-hmm. like all women. Yeah, my mother's a woman. One of my best <laughs> right? friends are women.
1: <laughs>
0: I'm married to a woman, <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm having to deal with a, a woman, woman so, tight right now, you know. So it, exactly, yeah. and so right.
3: and so, what we're also seeing is policies that are focused on outcome, right? Regardless right. of intention, what was the outcome? And I think, Jason, to your to your question in the first instance, why these terms are so important? Because we need to adopt common understanding for what we're really looking at. So often, and, and I know we'll be talking about it later on, when we're in the DEI space, and um, a standard response is, well, of course I'm not uh, racist. Of course I'm not one who discriminates against people on the basis of color, because my best friend is you Fill know, and the they blank. go through that right. that that whole tree. Yeah. But you're lo- again, you're looking at intention, uh-huh. but you're not, are you really looking at the outcome of your way of being what you or your outcome of what you where you didn't stand up? And so we can talk about that further when we're talking about allyship mm-hmm. and what is the what is the proper role for someone who wants to be supportive, who mm-hmm. wants to see major change in the racial equity and social justice front how to really show up and how to show up more effectively right
2: so obviously i mean this is a big movement right it's a big um big point in time for and and probably should have happened a long time ago right and for people that are just becoming educated on it or maybe educated wrongly uh the first time around by just seeing things in the media with um you know breaking people's windows and and things like that and and don't fully have an understanding but but understand the importance of the time in history how do where do we get started how do we start on this journey to actually create some sort of change and move society forward um like where does that where does that start so, this is an awesome question. <laughs> <laughs> I'm
3: squirming in the sea. I'm like, oh, yeah, doing the Roger Rabbit and the Running Man over here.
0: Oh, my God. It's hammer <laughs> yeah, time. That throwback. All
3: right. right. Yeah. So,
2: that hopefully question, you came prepared. You know. <laughs> Absolutely. Right. There's not. a dance off later <laughs> right. in case
0: you were wondering. <laughs> exactly.
3: So
2: maybe we could put that in, in, in our YouTube right. page. You know, so, I was thinking Eurovision would sort of be like allyship too. So, but, you know. <laughs> well, I was thinking
0: we could just end the show with like a, a, a video, like go live and do like a soul training. Oh, you absolutely. know, so,
2: oh, you know what? That would be, hey, in terms
0: Options, of- <laughs> options, you know. But anyway, getting back to your point about right. where, where we so, begin. So I think
3: we begin in a couple places. We begin right where we are now. And um, my invitation uh, as we continue these conversations is going to be a vocabulary test uh, or a vocabulary lesson, really looking at uh, the, the nuance But the important distinctions between acknowledgement and agreement, as we're looking at the world in which we find ourselves, let's suspend for a moment. Let's suspend agreement. Mm -hmm. Let's acknowledge that there are multiple worldviews and each of those worldviews have value. And Jason, to your point about, uh, you know, for some of our listeners who may be educated, but may be educated, I won't say wrongly, I'll say their education has not been effective in mm-hmm. terms of learning uh, these other worldviews. I think the opportunity for us would be uh, really taking pause and really uh, understanding and appreciating that there are multiple worldviews and every worldview has value. Right. And so if I'm committed or embedded in my worldview – through the lens of cultural intelligence, I'm going to suspend... I'm going to, first of all, recognize and acknowledge that my worldview is just my worldview. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that it is... It is the worldview. It is the (laughs) worldview. It's it's not the the
0: alpha and the omega by any any stretch.
3: It it is yet. If there's 7.5 billion people on the planet, let's Mm -hmm. presume that there are about 7.5 billion (laughs) worldviews, and that's okay. (laughs) Yeah. Because now... By you know taking pause and really um, having some maximum situational awareness let 's understand why people are responding the way they are without uh, without words of judgment, without words of condemnation, without when we 're looking at and it, it, you know again, you mentioned you know people breaking things and looting in the street and you know I remember having conversations with my with my children who are college age, and we were talking about. How that uh, that act, how that act was perceived and portrayed by the media, and I remember, you know, again, middle school teacher here, so I remember my favorite story. And the revolutionary, you know, in, in history, in the Revolutionary War, was the Boston Tea Party, mm-hmm. and the Boston Tea Party, which is um, now one of the one of the highlighted elements, revered,
2: of, uh, right. <laughs> right? One of the
3: one of the key critical moments of the American Revolutionary War is when the Patriots, and I'm using air quotes, mm-hmm. dressed as Native Americans, went onto the ships and destroyed hundreds of thousands of dollars of private property. Mm-hmm. And yet that is a key moment in American history. And so what's the distinction between those individuals uh, 230, 240 years ago doing that act versus what we see today? Well, it depends on who's telling the story. Mm -hmm. And And the context. And Mm -hmm. the context. Mm -hmm. But but again, if I'm suspending my worldview and I'm just being in an open space that I can really see what's going on and why are things happening Mm -hmm. Um, And and then I think we can begin to develop, at least I don't have to agree with it. And that's Mm -hmm. why I say the distinction between acknowledgement and agreement, but let's acknowledge that there is another point of view that's pretty critical that I get to lean in and I get to Mm -hmm. explore and I get to dig a little further because there's something. There's layers. There's There's layers. layers. Exactly. And
0: I think that that's what a part of understanding getting that cultural awareness you absolutely. know whether it's the culture that you you've grown up with your organizational culture or whatever because the education I think what happens is a lot of people are very relying on the media absolutely social media which is <laughs> it's like that's horrible you know go read a book you know if you take nothing else away from this show but to understand that to get to that global perspective even if you personally don't agree with what that is that you're understanding that there's a world beyond your world Absolutely. you know that there, there are other things and there are other ways to get educated and to get informed so that you can be that much more you know just effective i guess in, in, in terms of growth and movement and progression
3: there's a quote i'd like to share mm-hmm. um and it's an african proverb and it says until the lion learns how to write the story will always glorify the hunter And I think that's simple and so powerful Mm -hmm. because often history is told from the perspective of the victors, right? The hunter, (laughs) right? Right. And the the lion's like,
0: that's not what happened, (laughs) (laughs) okay?
3: The gazelle, they don't get to tell their story, right? But I think this is a wonderful moment in time that we now get to hear multiple stories Mm -hmm. and and Mm -hmm. multiple worldviews, so that we can again. You know, Dr. Maya Angela has this uh, saying that we are more alike than we are unalike, mm-hmm. and and it's so true. In our in our human core, we are so similar. And I think rather than looking for those distinctions or those things that divide us, it would be beautiful to now look at what are those areas what brings that brings us together. Exactly. Yes.
2: Yeah, and to that end, um, wanted to thank you very much for for this little journey that you took us on, and then in our next. Uh, podcast. If you're still listening, we're going to explore how to create a cultural learning space and how to build an environment where you can have civilized discussions to mm-hmm. um, really be open to learn to learn what's going on in the movement and um, and just culturally be aware. So, thank you very much, Jacques. Thank you. Sir. Thank you.
1: And that's a wrap on another episode of Work Life Non Balance. To learn more about our show and our hosts or sponsors, visit WLUBradio.com. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss an episode. All shows are produced by Jason Lichney and Regina Romeo and are recorded in the CPS HR Consulting Studio in beautiful Sacramento, California. Sacramento. All music is written and performed by Matt Michaelis. Check out all his music at mattmichaelismusic.com on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you download music. Until next time, I'm Josh Goldman. Thanks for tuning in.